Uh, before you know, we get into this podcast here with Christina Bass Hamilton, just kind of wanted to recognize the passing of, of Scott Lay, the founder of Sacktown Talks and the, and the Nooner. Uh, he was a big uh, contributor to kind of the new uh, media here in Sacramento and kind of a, of a mix of kind of page six meets Politico. Uh, so just wanted to recognize Scott, his passing, all the great contributions he's made and uh, may he rest in peace and a happy trail, Scott. Hello and welcome again to another episode of Sacktown Talks. Today we're joined by Christina Boss Hamilton joining us. Christina, how's it going? Thanks for joining us. Hey, Jared. I'm going, uh, all's going really well. Uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. It's nice to talk to you here. You know, session just ended and kind of, can you give our listeners a little update about kind of what you're doing and uh, what you're up to? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I come out of the labor world. I was a labor lobbyist for a number of years working for the United Domestic Workers, which is a affiliate of AFSCME. Um, we represented home care providers and I did that for a number of years. Um, in January, I launched a consulting practice, um, basically kind of still wanting to do work in the human services realm, but also casting a wider net um, and representing other groups beyond labor traditionally. And that has been going really well. I am learning um, issue areas that I didn't necessarily have too much contact with before. And one of the things that is a pleasant surprise is when you kind of get um, really into a niche when it comes to uh, lobbying and legislative advocacy, you wind up dealing with the same committees and the same chairs and the same staff pretty much over and over. So um, this is a pleasant opportunity to broaden, you know, sort of the, the cast of characters and, you know, learn, learn about some of these other committees and chairs and what it is that they are working on. So, yeah, so this, this year has been a, a growing year and a learning year in terms of um, how other issue areas operate. I mean, our world was very particular and you know, everything in Sacramento in terms of policy, as you know, is super complicated. Right. So trying to grasp pieces of other complicated animals um, isn't the easiest thing to do, but it's pretty exciting. You know, for, you know, a lot of the staff and stuff who listen to this kind of, what was your background prior to kind of being a labor lobbyist? Like how, how did you get into that role? That's a great question. Um, so I am from New Jersey. I went to college uh, at Rutgers University. I actually got um, a master's degree in labor relations, but I've worked for labor since I was graduated undergrad. So I started doing groundwork. You know, I was an organizer. I was a researcher. I did um, a lot of behind the scenes. Um, when I moved to California, I had the blessing of getting hired by UDW and I did background policy and um, sort of budget work for a while. And then um, ultimately my job opened up to do legislative. So to become the director, which meant I was now going to do direct lobbying. And so if you had asked me honestly, 10 years ago, are you going to be a lobbyist or do you want to be a lobbyist? I, I would have said, no, I have like, it was like zero on my list of like what I wanted to do. I actually had like a really bad sort of association with the word lobbyist. Like my immediate response was like, ew, you know, these are gross, slimy, you know, unethical people. And you have then, to register. Yeah. Like all of a sudden I was yeah. like, wait, you know, that aren't those all like, you know, slimy, 
shysters. And then I actually was like, no, you can do this and have integrity and, and, you know, do everything that you're doing. It just happens to be that you're spending a certain amount of time, you know, talking to lawmakers. And so it wound up being great. Like it, it, it is really a blessing. I fell into it because I, I loved it. I love every minute of lobbying. Yeah, kind of, I guess, in, in your experience working with organized labor, kind of how have you seen kind of the role of labor evolve over the years kind of in California politics and kind of how do you see the future of organized labor here? Well, um, so I come from the East Coast. I have this interesting perspective of, um, I guess I'm, I'm somewhat, you know, bi-coastal or something. Um, my experience with labor was really in the like ground field campaign organizing. It was when I was back in New Jersey, when I came to California is when I started to really learn about politics. And um, I had the blessing to be mentored by some really um, fantastic uh, old school, you know, pre, uh, I should say the, the Willie Brown era um, advocates who, who came up, I would say in a different world. And I, so I feel like I got um, men mentored by some really good people. And I, I don't know that I could say over the last 10 years that I observed necessarily a change in terms of labor's presence. I, I want to say that the influence has probably been there or was there way longer than before I came aboard. Um, I think the passage of Prop 25, which um, changed the budget from a two thirds to a majority vote, that ballot initiative wound up changing so much of the dynamic of how the budget was negotiated. I don't think right. a lot of folks may remember that when you needed to get two thirds vote, it made the minority caucus very powerful in terms of <laughs> extracting right. some concessions. We'd still be talking about the budget. We'd right still now. be talking about the budget right now. Exactly. So Prop 25, which was the changing the budget to, you know, majority vote. And then also the, the fees, uh, you know, the fines against the lawmakers for every day that it goes beyond July, uh, June 15th. Though that ballot initiative was actually sponsored by, um, my recollection is it was AFSCME and CSEA schools and other public sector unions. And now it's just accepted as like part of the sort of, you know, what everybody expects is normal practice in the Sacramento, in Sacramento, but the reality is that happened because of labor being kind of like, okay, well, every year we're getting held hostage, you know, how do we make life easier? It wound up being, to me, a very pro-democratic, you know, just really good thing that um, voters agreed with it and changed the dynamic. So I would say that probably was a linchpin moment in terms of like, the before and the after, I would I would add that to that, and then of course the Prop 30 discussion around the raising of the uh, really really high earner income tax. Um, but you know we're blessed, at least from the perspective of representing labor, to be in California. Like I, I periodically have to remember like other states. You know probably we we would be on the opposite foot, right? Like you know the the minority struggling to get meetings with legislators, struggling to have any impact at all. So for sure, being in California is, is a really pro-labor state is uh, fabulous. And I came out of a pro-labor state in New Jersey and worked in New York City and in Philadelphia, all high pro-labor places. So I, I think overall, my perspective is really 
blessed. You know, you know, it's interesting with your with your labor background and, and organizing experience, kind of that grassroots kind of mentality you have. Kind of how are you using that to kind of help shape kind of private entities and, and their kind of lobbying experience? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, so the when I launched the firm, my goal was to represent like-minded organizations, um, but basically to share the models of what makes labor powerful and influential in California. These, um, I like to say it's not rocket science, it's just having honed over decades how you mobilize voters, how you participate in political action, how you do you know massive mobilization around legislation and call-in days and and rallies and all this sort of like pieces of the formula that wound up resulting in successful you know big big passage of bills or whatever and, and it's not always clearly it's not always all the time right we, we have losses and wins like everybody else but what i learned was, okay, so when you're in Sacramento, what can you be doing at the local level to help push the conversation forward? And so it's what I am doing is replicating or teaching, advising, guiding other organizations, like, you know, as much as possible, right? Because these are different groups with different funding and all sorts of other stuff. But as much as possible, there are things that have been honed to a science and they can be replicated. And let's, let's try to do that. Right. You know, yeah. one, one thing people point to with kind of labor is, you know, they have so many members and dues and, and huge political action committees, you know, I guess for, for a little client who maybe who can't, who doesn't have the volume, doesn't have the number of employees, right. kinda, doesn't have the funding kind of what, what would you recommend? What are some of the things they can do these kind of little clients to kind of uh, replicate kind of some of the things? Right, right. About? Well, it's two things. It's boots on the ground and it's money, right? If you are not in a position to play the money game, there's a lot you can do around mobilization at the local level. Um, I like to always go back to all politics is local, which you know we all learned about in Poli Sci 101, or at least I did. Um, I, I didn't really understand what that meant until I started working in the labor movement, which was how do you connect people with like you know the bread and butter issues, the kitchen table issues, and all that. How do you then translate that into participation in politics? Because, I mean, how many people, if you went out and just asked your neighbor, do you know who represents you in Sacramento? Mm -hmm. I'm guessing what, maybe 20% of folks would know, right? Um, so there's a lot that organizations can do just in terms of educating, training, and mobilizing their existing networks, building them into broader networks, trying to build coalitions with other organizations around the state to make their footprint bigger, and then translating all of that into then um, activating those networks to send a message and to you know, basically communicate to legislators what communities want them to do versus one-off, you know, I'm just one person and I'm making a phone call and that's the end of it. I see it as, you know, how do you expand the networks that you have and then how do you activate them so that you're all working in unison those are things that even small organizations can do yeah i guess kind of i guess prior to you coming out you know you had an idea of what your business was and what uh you wanted to do i guess you know now that you've been into this for for some time kind of has has your your thoughts changed or are things a little different than you presumed 
Well, um, that's a good question. I am an advocate. You know, I that's like what I was born to do. Being a small business owner, a mm, little bit challenging. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I would say the the freelance side of doing consulting is is something to get used to, and um, you know, just basically having to learn how to you know operate. A business, right? That that part has taken a little bit of getting used to. I love what I do, though. I um, honestly, my the biggest problem right now is with COVID and the capital not getting back to any real normalcy has been a big obstacle um, when it comes to launching a business. COVID has not been very helpful at all. No. Right, and kind of that's something I kind of wanted to follow up on is is you know how have you been kind of you know, advocating during COVID and kind of reaching members and kind of what are the things that, you know, have worked and, and haven't worked? Well, I'll tell you one thing. When the pandemic, when the quarantine began, it was really clear, I want to say to the third house, that this was not the best time for new people to start learning how to lobby or to become professional advocates, right? That sort of relationship building, um, becomes really hard when it's all about like Zoom calls and phone calls, right? When you're not walking the halls and able to just pop in and have a conversation, now you're scheduling everything. And if that person doesn't know who you are, um, your likelihood of even getting that scheduled is, is going to be pretty low. So the, the, the benefit really was to folks who, who had built those relationships and were able to transition from in-person to cell phones and Zoom calls because that trust was already there and that ability to get in touch. Um, that took a bit of getting used to. And, and I mean, all of us, right? Staring at screens 8,000 hours a day, you know, do, lobbying last year's budget during the pandemic, this was before all the revenue started coming in. So the, the May revise was a horror show in terms of proposed cuts and and doing it all by phone was like probably some of the most brutal work I've ever done. <laughs> but, um, but you know, we adapt, right? Like the industry has adapted and, and here's the reality. I don't see this ever really going back to pre-COVID days, right? And, and some of it's not bad, right? Doing lobby visits over Zoom so that you don't have to lug people from Southern California all the way up to Sacramento that's kind of a good thing, right? I mean, you know, having public meetings being held over Zoom, like city council hearings and, and you know, supervisor hearings, those are actually all really good things. Um, I, I think we just are going to have to figure out what does that hybrid look like and how do we keep the good from the past and, and the good from the now, right? Um, and create sort of a new way of doing things. Yeah. You know, I was talking with, with some clients and you remember those lobby days where you'd have all these members and, and you'd have 15 or 20 people in one of these small capital offices That's right. and having to be able to move over Zoom, it's kind of like, yeah. oh, gosh, I, I hope we never have to never do that do those again. lobby days again. Well, I'll tell you for a lot of organizations, it sure saved them a bunch of money in terms of transportation and per diems and, and food and all that. I mean, that, you know, and again, it's, it's democracy because people are actually able to participate now versus before when it would have been impossible for them yeah right so, you know we just have to be flexible and adapt and just keep using the same principles that keep working 
which is building trust, you know, communicating accurately, representing, you know, your, your organization as best as you can, and then working with the method of how you get that message out. Right. Kind of, you know, I, I love your social media and kind of what you're doing on, on Twitter and, and LinkedIn, kind of what have your experiences been with social media and, and how has that kind of uh, helped you kind of get business and kind of, you know, lobby as well? So that's, a, that's another really good question. Um, okay, so I am a Gen Xer and I will tell you, I wasn't born with a phone in my hand. Um, the whole video thing does not come naturally. <laughs> It has been an experience to realize, okay, well, if people aren't going to see you in person, they need to see you. So, you know, you got to get over whatever self-consciousness is there and just put yourself out there and and be okay with it. So I definitely went from like zero to 60 on being like, okay, like I'm don't necessarily know exactly what I'm doing here, but I'm going to just put myself out there and and I know what my message is and I'm just going to try to communicate it. Um, So one of the things that I started doing, which has been one of those really like positive, didn't see it coming, but it it, it has been working really well is I just started doing these advocacy, free advocacy webinars, like trainings really for um, any activist group, honestly, anybody who wants to, but mostly targeting grassroots community groups um, non-Sacramento folks, right? Like the people who are not working for organizations that can hire a consultant like me, but who could really stand to benefit from this information. So I started doing these webinars, um, again, just sort of like, okay, let's see how this works. And, right. you know, how, how to lobby, how the legislative process works, you know, how to talk to a legislator, what not to tell them, like, you know, I, I, we had this excellent one with with Assemblymember Kalra, where he said, "Don't lobby me on my own bills." <laughs> like, you know, stuff <laughs> that like it sounds perfectly like, of course, but you know, maybe if it's not like someone didn't tell you that, you wouldn't necessarily know that to be right. true. And so the the webinars have become this really great way to do a community service and to do work that I love doing anyway, which is sharing information because this shouldn't just be information that only you know organizations that have money have access to but then to be able to meet people right and so through the webinars i've gotten a lot of referrals and a lot of um kind of like people who know people um and then that sort of has generated business and then the other thing like i said is just the the presence on social media and and one of the things that i'm learning right is that when you have value to share with people like that that is what keeps people engaged and and following right Right. so you know i i'm transitioning now like usually my value would be through conversation because i always did a lot of coalition work um you know pre-covid and tried to sort of like share my sort of expertise as much as i could now what i realize is i want to share that expertise online and and see who's out there listening and interestingly enough i've had people from around the country participate in the webinars i even had a gentleman from nigeria which blew me away and overall <laughs> like i'm kind of like well why are you like this is very clearly targeting california and the the feedback i'm getting is these are activists around the country they're around the world and they're like we want to know how to do this stuff and so it's kind of like democratizing the advocacy process, which sounds like um, 
sort of like I'm kind of contradicting myself, but there's a lot of, you know, sort of, uh, what's the word, intimidating um, silence around how the capital operates. And, right. and I'm, I want to start opening that up. Yeah, that's interesting. About that, Jared. Uh, always great to get more, more information out and, you know, have people engage. Um, kind of now that, you know, sessions wrapped, kind of what, what are you going to be working on uh, kind of in the off season, kind of heading into the next session? Um, well, I've got a couple webinars um, that I'm firming up with. So the the event with the assembly member went really well. And the feedback that I got was do more with legislators, um, because what they're doing is telling the perspective as the elected, right? Like, don't, don't, you know, when you call my office, don't say this, like, don't, you know, don't have someone from Texas call me like yeah. I, that's not necessarily going to have the greatest impact, right? So I'm working on a couple um, other ones that are going to have other legislators as special guests, but like try to kind of hone it into a certain sort of subject area or a theme so that we can kind of get deeper into um, like the nitty gritty of like, again, like how to be um, using advocacy better. Um, The other thing that I'm doing is I'm learning a lot about climate advocacy. And because I come out of human services, I am not super knowledgeable about the environmental world, the environmental justice world. Um, so I'm trying to kind of infuse myself into that so that I can um, figure out who the cast of characters is and, and hopefully get involved. I'm very passionate right now around climate. You know, it kind of reminds me of something you touched on earlier is kind of, you know, you might, you might know the committee or the process, but can you kind of talk about, you know, no matter what the subject is, you know, you know, you can advocate for anyone because you know the process. Would, would you say that's, that's right. true? That's right. And in fact, when I first started thinking about doing this, my immediate thought was like, well, you know, I, 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 my expertise is in, is in, uh, human services, right? Like the IHSS program that, I mean, I worked in that program for 10 years, but you know, my mentor and other folks would be like, people don't care about what you think on policy. They need help navigating the process, right? Like organizations have their, policy people. They know what they want. They've flushed all that out. You're, you're not there to help them do that. You're help the, you're there to help them figure out how do I communicate this and actually make it come to pass, right? Like there's nothing worse than righteous policy that is not happening because the, the process is excluding it, right? Like it's, right. you haven't reached the right kind of tipping point of the politics and the pro and the policy to get to somewhere, right? So my sort of thinking, like you just said, is like, how do you navigate this complicated system? I mean, and here's the other thing, like the budget. A lot of folks don't realize that it's, lobbying the budget is completely different than lobbying a policy bill, right? Exactly. And you may you may have done a thousand policy bills. That means you don't, that doesn't mean you know how to get funding in the budget. And so again, like breaking down and, and the other thing with budget advocacy is it's not necessarily spelled out anywhere. Like, here's how you do it. Like, he, here's, you know, you, you get an author and then you, you know, you go to a policy committee. Like, that's not necessarily super obvious right. when it comes to budget. So that's the type of expertise too, where you're like, okay, so, you know, you start here and you, you take these steps. Um, and it's really just saving time and resources because maybe, if you did it on your own, it would have taken you 10 years or five years 
to get to success and instead cutting out a lot of the, you know, mistakes that maybe could have been avoided and getting there a lot faster. Yeah. Kind of in your experience and kind of when you, when you first got into this, you know, obviously the political realm and the kind of the, the characters were different. How was it kind of being a woman kind of back then in a heavily male dominated kind of business and kind of have, have you seen that transformed and kind of what, what you see now? Um, so the labor movement, at least the unions that I worked for, um, I started off at the faculty association, then I went to AFSCME, then I went to CWDA, then I went back to AFSCME. Um, they actually were mostly women, I would say, more, a lot of women and, and almost, you would say, perhaps more than a majority female because of the type of workers that were represented. So. I never felt like I was in a male-dominated industry until I became an independent lobbyist. Because That's now I'm a business owner up against, you know, these blue chip firms that are tend to be very male, you know, certain, you know, it's folks who've been in the business for for many, many moons. And um I have had excellent conversations with other women. Um, independent lobbyists. And, and honestly, it's been um, really refreshing that I've only gotten love and support and not sort of any sense of that I was, you know, being competition. Um, however, I think the acknowledgement that we are a small sort of segment of the broader kind of contract lobbying population, that, you know, that's just part of every day. I mean, here's the thing, right? I think when you're a woman navigating power and politics in general, you start to build um, resilience for how you encounter situations where no one's necessarily, you know, you're not being afforded the same sort of opening, you know, opportunities, like ability to talk. So I, I think you sort of kind of you learn that as a working woman. I think um, now I'm really using those skills for sure because I, I realize um, I have to assert myself or things are just going to happen without me. Um, right. Thankfully, I'm a pretty assertive person though. So <laughs> <laughs> it works for me. <laughs> I guess that's the interesting thing is, as you know, when you're in business for yourself, you have to sell yourself. That's right. Um, so kind of, I guess, how are you selling yourself? And kind of when, when a client has an option of going with this big established firm versus is yourself kind of, you know, what, how do you, how do you sell yourself that you're the best option and not, you know, this, this other firm? That's a great, another great question. God, Jared, you're just full of great questions today. Um, <laughs> Lattery will get you everywhere on this show. Oh, uh, right. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, am not going to speak ill of any other lobbyists. There, there are excellent, outstanding advocates that work for all sorts of firms out there, right? My perspective is that I come out of the labor world. I know what labor does that makes it successful and makes it have influence. So I, I don't necessarily know. I mean, there's, there are for sure, but I, I don't think there's a heck of a lot of lobbyists out there who come out of labor. I, I offer it as I want to share models that I know work and I'm wanting to work with organizations that I am invested in what they're trying to do. Because I do think that when you are passionate and care about the mission of the organization you represent, you are actually um, magnifying your efforts. You, you're, it's like a, a um, right. what is that called? Like a magnifier effect. 
you know, so like one plus one may equal two, but now you're like, you've got that extra, like, you know, now you're three, right? Because you're just putting that extra spirit into it. So when it comes to selling myself, which is not an easy thing to do when you're an advocate used to advocating for other people. <laughs> so but having to advocate for myself, I, that's what I've come brought it down to is like, you know, yes, I work hard. I have a great reputation, but I, I'm bringing heart and I'm bringing um, the way of building power that I know works. Wow. Well, that's awesome. I'm glad we got the chance to catch up and you're doing some Thank interesting you. stuff. Yeah, this is, I listen to you um, all the time. <laughs> and uh, I was telling Vernon, I, I periodically will get really great little nuggets of info out of your interviews. Well, so that's, that's like one of those secret little lobbyist things where I'm like, people don't, I don't know if they realize that these are super helpful to listen to these interviews because you're going to pick up to all sorts of stuff that you didn't know. That's awesome. Well, that's good to hear. Thanks. If, uh, some of our listeners want to kind of check in on what you're doing and follow you on social media and check in on your webinars. How can yeah, they no, for sure. So um, it's at KBAS Hamilton is the handle on Twitter and LinkedIn. And then the website is uh, kbhadvocacy.com. Um, and you can sign up to get updated as soon as I get those webinars scheduled and then you'll be sort of first notified of that. But yeah, I'd love to have for, folks follow me. I follow back generally and, you know, I'm, I'm, you'll catch me up there having a, a, some soapbox session or other. <laughs> if, you, if you're interested, I'd love to have more. <laughs> right. Well, I highly recommend, uh, you know, all our listeners follow uh, Christina and check out what she's doing. Uh, great Twitter feed and uh, great social stuff. Thank you, Jared. I appreciate it. Same, same to you. Look forward to catching up with you later. Uh, absolutely. And um, stay well, stay safe. And thank you for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Christina. Have a good one. Talk to you. Bye.